This is a sermon straight out of the 50s, all right? So young people, you're going to be like taken aback by that. Older people are going to be like, I remember hearing this sermon every week. Right? So here it is. I'm going to convince you that dancing is a sin. Dancing is a sin. God can't stand it. God absolutely opposes it. If you're truly a child of God, you will hate dancing as much as God does and strive to never engage in it yourself. The offenses associated with this evil practice so anger God that he considers you in contempt of him if you engage in it. Never participate in yourself, in it yourself. Discourage others from participating in it too. Um, and I'm going to tell a story to prove it. Okay, so there's my thesis. If I could even convince you of that, would it ca cause you not to engage in it? That's, I don't know. But anyway, here's how it goes. Here's the first, I'll give you a list of characters first. First, it's, and there's a, there's a weird picture somebody did for a VBS one time. This is supposed to be these characters. Uh, first one is Ahab. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verse 16, beginning when it says, uh, say verse 17, Ahab saw Elijah. Ahab said to him, is it you, you, is that, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now keep going in this. And, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel. But you have in your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That's a big old table, right? Big table, right? Ahab is this king. He's wicked. He's evil. He doesn't stand for anything. He's a coward. He would be one of these, you would call him a parasite. He lives off of somebody else. He finds a host with a strong personality, and he just attaches himself, and he goes along with whatever they say. If he's around good people, he'll, be, he'll make good decisions, but he's mostly around really strong bad people and makes bad decisions like Jezebel herself. He is a person who won't take responsibility for his actions, and he won't make decisions. He's passive. He basically just soaks up whatever the strongest personality in the room thinks. But now here's the thing to think about him, though. Even when it's somebody else's idea that you go with, it is your responsibility what happens. You are responsible for who you allow to influence you. Because your job is to maintain and monitor and influence, and if somebody's being an, un an unhealthy influence, it's your responsibility to take care of that. It's not their responsibility to answer for it. It's yours. He's a coward. Ahab is a coward, and he's the king. And he's just let things go just the way Jezebel wants to. The second character we've already seen in these verses is Elijah, and you know him, the main prophet of God. He's the one who speaks, and he's very gruff. Uh, he's working openly against evil, maybe the only prophet of God who's doing that, and he thinks he's the only prophet at all, at least he does in the next chapter. And, um, and he's wanting the people to decide something. He's wanting them to take a stand, unlike Ahab will. He tries to get them to make a choice, and so we join in verse 20 again, where we ended off. Ahab sent all the people of Israel, gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came near to all the people. The people are the third characters in this story. It's a whole group of people. We don't know how many, but there they are. And what, what, what Elijah wants more than anything is get the people to make a choice. And so he presents them the options. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people didn't answer a word. They're just quiet. They can't decide. They, they feel strongly both ways, and so they won't make a stand. And those are the characters in the story. Ahab, the king, the bad guy, the villain. Elijah, the good guy, the lone guy with a white hat. And then you've got the people who are supposed to be the ones deciding over this issue of who is going to be the God they serve. So what happens? So, verse 22, we begin. He describes the parameters of this particular challenge. Elijah said to the people, I, even though I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets of 450 men, let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. You call on the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, that sounds great. So now we have the challenge. This is the account of what happens. The challenge is issued, the parameters are set. Then comes the actual showdown taking place. Verses 25 through 29 is the first part. This is when the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they get their chance. So we start at verse 25. And you know this, this is something you're familiar with, but it's still, still fun to read. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but don't put any fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and they call upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. A number of hours here. O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. He never spoke. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. They do this kind of limping thing. And they start their actions. And they start doing their thing. And at noon, Elijah began to mock them. After three or four hours of this, Elijah just kind of feels pretty confident that he can do this. And he says, cry louder. He is God, right? He is God. Either he's musing. I don't even know what that is. ESV. He's relieving himself. I know what that is, but that's, he says, he's on a journey. He's taking a vacation somewhere. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to wake him up. All this stuff kind of taunting them, and it intensifies what they do. They cried aloud, cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as at midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the ablation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. The things they do right there are the things that false prophets always do in their worship. They have to generate some kind of excitement when there's no God home. You have to generate the emotions. This is one of my qualms with people who feel that they have to jack up the worship of God and make it all emotional because we feel like we have to because God's truth is not enough to affect my emotion. We don't have to generate anything. We don't, truth generates everything that we need for life and godliness. It's right there in our truth and in the way that we do. These people have to generate their own kind of excitement in their worship, and so they treat this challenge like they do their normal false worship. They dance around there, they prance around there, and they howl and, and hoop and all that stuff, and Elijah's finding it comical, right? And nothing, 
nothing happens because there's nothing there. And now it's time for Elijah to do something. So at verse 30, he calls the people to himself. He gave ample time for these people to do this. And he says, come near to me. And the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying... Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars with water. Water from where? Pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. They did it a second time. Water from where? It hasn't rained in three and a half years. Mediterranean's not that far. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So he, he, make, he, he builds up the intensity by, by increasing the odds, right? Against him being able to do anything. But notice what he ends up doing that sounds so drastically different from the false worship of the false gods. Elijah the prophet came near, verse 36. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Very boring, isn't it? It's boring. A simple prayer of conversation to his God. Then the fire of the Lord fell. God provided the excitement of this worship. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. The stones, the stones were burned up. The dust was burned up, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. This is truly amazing. Now, if you don't have any emotion after this, uh, check your pulse. When the people saw it, fell on their faces. The resolution is here. It's not in the answering of fire. It's not even the silencing of Baal. The resolution is when the people open their mouths and finally decide. When they take a stand and they say, the Lord, he is God. Now, finally, the question from verse 20 is given an answer by the people. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And there's the resolution. We have an answer to all this. What in the world does all this have to do with dancing, right? I started with... I'm going to prove that dancing's a sin. Dancing appears twice in this passage. I want you to know in verse 21, only in my version, it says limping. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal's God. The word is dancing or vacillate. It's dancing. How long are you going to dance on this thing? You got this God here, and 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 you keep doing this dance. You go from one partner to the other, from one partner to the other, from one partner to the other. That's what you keep doing. You can't even decide. And then in verse 26, we see it again. When these prophets of Baal, what are they doing? It says that they're limping around the altar. They're dancing, trying to get their God to respond. Two times in this passage, 
and neither one of them good. Dancing's when you try to fit different gods into your life when you should only have one. Nail your foot to the floor and make a decision about your God. When we as Christians become Christians, had a conversation with Hayden uh, before about 5 o'clock today. 4 o'clock, sorry. 4 o'clock. She comes in, says, I'm thinking about being baptized. And she says, here's the one thing. I've, I've known what I needed to do for a long time. Here's one thing. I knew once I decide, I have to live out that decision. I say, I appreciate that you know that. Because I've come to believe you can get most 8, 9, 10-year-olds to know the Bible says you need to be baptized. But y'all, it's, it's a bigger decision than just the knowledge of knowing you need to. It's from here on out, it's like a marriage decision. I've got to forsake all others till death do us part, right? I've got to forsake all others and just stay with God alone. And we want to change partners. It's like when I get in this context, I want here. And when I'm over here, I want to be here. And you can't. You've got to decide. And so these people, they were willing to serve God on Saturday during Sabbath. But on Tuesday, they were hugging on their Baal God because of all the sexual immorality associated with that worship. That was kind of fun. On Thursday night, they were with Ashira. They were just going all through the week to different ones, picking out the best parts. And so when they were forced to decide you got to choose one, man, they're just like, eeny, meeny, miny, moeny, meeny. We sign on for this Christian life thing. We decide that God, who is a jealous God, says, I ain't sharing you with nobody else. Don't come to the Lord's Supper and then go to the altar of demons. Isn't that what Paul says? 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. You can eat at one table. And this is how it looks. I can see this for kids. I can see this for us adults. You want to live this way with friends at school and this way with friends at your own time, this way when you're alone, this way when you're at church, and everybody thinks this is the way you are all the time, but not really. It depends. Where are you at? That's the partner you got. Do you see the dance? Do you see it happening? Do you see the dance? Does this this look familiar to you? This is the dance. This is what God says, no. You're mine or you're not mine. I won't share you with anybody else. Now, now how, does, how, do you, how do you learn to do this? How do you decide? And like I, I said with Hayden this afternoon, what, what made you decide? Well, well, notice in this story, faith follows the evidence to reach a decision. God doesn't expect you um, to just believe because, um, because your family does or because friends do. We have this irrepressible desire for rational proof. I'm not going to give my life just to, to, to an end that I want to see. I, I want to know that what I'm believing is true. That's why Jesus had miracles, but he had a message. That's why he, he put into our scriptures eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony, people who saw it, because he said, I don't expect you to believe 
like a fairy tale, like, you know, like, like, like those stories you hear. I, ex- I expect to have to give you something of substance, something real. I don't want you to check your brain at the door in order to be a Christian. I want you to have evidence. Now, don't go asking for fire from heaven all the time. And by the way, that didn't work on these people either. It's interesting, isn't it? We're going to talk about this next Sunday. But after this is over, Elijah runs. Where does he run to? Anybody know where he runs to? Where Jezebel and Ahab live. Jezreel. He runs. You know why he's running? He can't wait to see when it hits the presses what happened. You know what he finds out? Nothing happened. Nothing changed. This dramatic thing made no difference in the people. That's why he's depressed come chapter 19. So the dramatic stuff, you think if the dramatic stuff happened all the time, we, everybody would believe, right? Do you, remember, do you remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? And the rich man says in Hades, he was suffering terribly. He says, if someone rises from the dead and tells my brothers, he'll believe. And what does, what does Jesus in that story tell him? Even if somebody rose from the dead, they have the law and the prophets. If somebody rose, they still wouldn't believe. We can't live our lives waiting for fire all the time. But there is rational evidence, and it's why we believe. And we're sitting here on a Sunday night, not because we want heaven so bad that we've created a story that will help us get there and, and, and encourage us along the way. We believe because we believe these scriptures are true. They are eyewitness testimony. These things happened, and God, God knew that we needed evidence. And then, and then that decision must produce a life of action. That's why he says, if Baal is God, follow him. In other words, live for him. If the Lord is God, follow him. Keep living out the ethic of the God you serve. It needs to, it needs to set the pace for your entire life. And so they decided, and at least for a while they followed, they took those false prophets and slaughtered them. I don't know if those people, what they saw, how they responded. The people in the capital didn't seem to respond very well, or at least where they live. But there's just certain things you've got to follow to their final result. If you are a Cardinal fan, you simply cannot like anything Cub. It's just the way it is. I mean, you can appreciate Wrigley Field, and you can you kind of joke with people, but really, you do have deep down a problem with Ryan Altum. You really do. It's just, it's, you can't, there's no room for anything else when you've decided that that's what you've chosen. And when you choose God, he kind of takes up the whole space. He's too big to let your heart fit other things in there. He won't allow that pluralism that Baal would. He won't allow that syncretism like all these other things would. Moses said, you've got to choose life or death. It's one or the other. And Joshua said the same thing, and God says the thing. Really, truly, God is not against dancing. He just says, I better be your only partner. 
I better be your only partner. Because I won't accept exchanges and swapping. I'm too jealous for a couple of reasons. One is that's my nature. And second is, it is very unhealthy for you. So make a choice. Make a choice. If God is God, serve Him this week and come back here next Sunday. Gather around this table again and covenant for another week. If something changes in your mind and you decide you don't want to serve Him anymore, then step out. But whatever you do, don't dance around. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your truth and grateful for the stories that you give us, the accounts you give us of things that happened in the past and how they can enrich our lives. And I pray, Father, there, we, we live in a world that has so many enticing partners wooing us to live our lives in relation to them. And Father, we want to be people who nail our feet to the floor, who choose you and stay faithful to you. I pray for Hayden tonight as she starts her walk as she starts going places. And Father, she is one of these very popular people, delightful people with sports activities uh, like crazy in her life. And Father, she's going to make a difference for you. And I pray, Father, you help her to be faithful to you. I pray for that for Audrey as well. And Father, I pray that for each of us, that as we live this week, that we give no indication at all that any of these other things are enticing to us, but we have chosen to serve you here on the first day of the week and through next Saturday, we are gonna be faithful and living for you and then we're gonna come back and do it again next week. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.